be seated. As you open your Bibles to the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to John, as you're doing that, I bring you greetings from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, that church is in some ways a daughter church of this church. I was on the staff of this church 35 years ago. And then uh, 32 years ago, I moved to Statesboro to plant the church there. Through uh, the encouragement of this local church, uh, so I bring you greetings from that congregation of believers and thank you for your support and encouragement over the years <clears throat> for the, the ongoing work of God's kingdom. And we come to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John where Jesus encounters a man born blind. And the disciples have one perspective toward this man, Jesus, another. And then we note not only the physical blindness of this man, but the spiritual blindness of many that were around him. So we read John 9, verses 1 to 7, and then we'll skip down to verses 35 to 41. Hear now the reading of God's Word. As he passed by, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. After this, of course, the man departed. Uh, he didn't know who it was who had healed him. But um, others noticed him as being one who had been blind and began to interrogate him. The Pharisees became interested. They began to interrogate him. They um, spoke with great disdain of Jesus and sought to discredit Jesus and spoke against Jesus. But he would not uh, concur with their opinion, and thus they kicked him out of the synagogue. And we pick up with verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now for the work of your Holy Spirit, 
We acknowledge that the natural man cannot understand the things of God, for they are spiritually appraised. And so we pray now for the work of your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. We pray that we might have displayed before us the beauty, the glory, the majesty of Jesus. Be drawn to him, and by putting our faith in him, have life in his name. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Why did it happen to me? You ever asked that question? Just this past Tuesday, I was um, rushing toward a doctor's appointment. It was an eye appointment. I got there just a little bit late, uh, worried that I might not be there in time, sat down at 3.30 in the afternoon, knowing I had to be in Richmond Hill for another meeting uh, at 6.30, so I had plenty of time to get there, right? 4.30, I still haven't moved. I'm still sitting there. 5 o'clock, I'm still sitting there. Nothing has happened. Finally, some nurse comes and takes me into a torture chamber, begins to do various things to me. Uh, but still no doctor anywhere. 5.30, still haven't seen the doctor. I'm thinking, now I need to call somebody because I need to tell them I'm going to be late. My phone dies because I was messing with it the whole time, waiting for the doctor, and so I used up every energy the battery had. But alas, I can go outside, except my eyes have been dilated, and now I need those funky sunglasses to wear outside perhaps I can plug my phone into my car charger make the phone call the car charger doesn't work either and then I go back in and make matters worse the doctor concludes after much uh, several years of probing me other doctors as well that I have glaucoma not the worst thing you can have in the world but nevertheless frustrating. Why did that happen to me? What did I do? You ever wondered that? Or even more seriously complained about something that happened in your life or to someone else, something maybe more serious, maybe even some disease or sickness? Here in this passage, Jesus addresses a situation in which disciples encounter or see a man they think they know why he's sick he's blind they think they have the explanation of it and they ask the question of Jesus how is it that blindness came upon this man first we note in Jesus's statement with respect to this man the purpose of his blindness verses 1 through 5 Jesus tells them why it took place. And from this, I think you and I can learn that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sickness is never purposeless, but always works to the glory of God. And by logical extension, not only our sickness, but every hardship or adversity that we encounter as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will work to his glory and for our good. Now Jesus had been on the temple grounds and he's encountered the Pharisees and had various arguments and debates with them about a number of different things. He's confronted them with some things that they didn't like to hear. He told them that they were slaves of sin. They came back and 
accused him of being a, having a demon, being a Samaritan, and questioned the legitimacy of his birth. That would have been enough to discourage anybody, to make you want to throw in the towel and just quit. But Jesus was no ordinary man, and Jesus was focused. And he was preeminently concerned about the work of the Father and about the glory of God, and thus he was not concerned about himself. And so he does not throw a pity party that he has this opposition. He doesn't descend into depression of some sort or another. He has no concern for himself. On the way out of the temple, his eye spots a poor, helpless beggar, blind from birth. Jesus saw him. A helpless nobody, ignored by countless hundreds of people every day, walking by him as though he were invisible. But not Jesus. To Jesus, this poor man presents him with the opportunity for two glorious works. On the one hand, a glorious manifestation of the compassion and mercy of God, and on the other the opportunity to manifest the glory of God. Unfortunately, though, the disciples did not see what Jesus saw. They were both looking at the same man there outside the temple grounds, but whereas Jesus saw an opportunity for the glory of God, they saw a theological problem. They wondered about what was the reason or the cause of this man's blindness? Not the biological cause, but they assumed some theological cause. It must be because of sin in some way or another, either this man's sin or the sin of his parents. Those are the two choices they saw before them. He was blind because of some sin he had committed, which he therefore suffered the consequence of blindness as a result. They thought in these terms that there is a one-to-one correspondence between the sin you commit and some calamity or hardship in your life. Maybe some of you have thought that way. You know anybody who thinks that way? You stump your toe in the afternoon, it must be you did something wrong, some sin you committed in the morning. You speak harshly to your wife in the morning, you get a cold at night. Somehow a one-to-one correspondence between the sin in your life and the calamity or difficulties or hardships that you encounter. The only problem, of course, with that assessment about this man is this man was born blind. So he had not had any opportunity to do anything in his life for which he could be punished with some kind of calamity like blindness. What sin could he have committed in his life? Well, the Jewish rabbis tried to help out on that score. Some of them said, well, he sinned in another life. Of course, that is not biblical. That's reincarnation. That's something that a Mormon might believe, or a Hindu, but not a biblical-minded person thinking about the Word of God. Some suggested, well, he sinned in the womb. In fact, some rabbis even suggested that Esau tried to kill Jacob in the womb. So maybe there was some sin like that in this man's life. But Jesus says, no, that's not the cause. That's not the reason for this man's blindness. Then the other choice they submitted was, well, maybe it was the parents 
they sinned, and therefore the child is blind. So they try to attribute this man's blindness to some particular sin, but not the particular sin of the man in question, but rather the sin of his parents. What must they have done that caused the blindness of their child? Now, certainly sometimes there are things we do as adults or as parents that may have adverse impact upon the lives of our children. You commit adultery and end up divorced, that has an impact upon your children. If you habitually abuse alcohol and um, you end up with some kind of disease like cirrhosis of the liver, there is a connection, a relationship between that sinful lifestyle and some physical malady that you endure. But this notion of the disciples, that some particular sin of the parents was the actual cause of his blindness, was mistaken. And thus it was not the man's sin, nor the sins of his parents, that was the cause of his blindness. However, we should not draw from that that there's no connection whatsoever between sin and sickness. Sickness cannot always be attributed to some particular sin, But in some cases, there is, as we've already noted, a correspondence between sinful lifestyle and some malady we might suffer. And besides that, there is also a general correspondence between sin and sickness or malady. In fact, we know that there is a connection between death and sin. Sin came into the world through Adam, and through sin came death and every other malady that we encounter in this life. The Westminster Confession of Faith Shorter Catechism asked the question, what is the misery of that estate wherein to man fell? The answer is all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries of this life to death itself and the pains of hell forever. In other words, because of our sin and rebellion against God, we have made ourselves liable to all the miseries of this life. Thus, there does not need to be any particular sin in a person's life that would explain some particular illness in his life. The fact that he or she is under the sentence of God's judgment, if they don't know God, have no relationship with Christ, or the fact that you and I are living in a world that is fallen under the sentence of God's judgment, that alone would explain any sort of general connection between the fallenness of our beings and the physical maladies that we suffer. But Jesus does not focus on the particular cause of this man's blindness. Rather, Jesus focuses in on something else. Jesus is concerned with the purpose of this man's sickness. You and I cannot know the cause, ultimately, of why we might be ill, but we can always know for what purpose that illness exists. Note what Jesus says in verse 3. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that interesting? It was decreed by Almighty God in the counsel of the eternal Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this particular man's blindness at that particular place 
in that particular time would afford the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, with an opportunity to display the mighty works of God. I can hear you thinking this. I think it myself many times. But wouldn't it have been better if? I can think of a scenario in my own life. That seems much better to me. I mean, in my mind, for me to live a affliction-free life, that smooth sailing all the way until some reason I die, that would seem to me to work much more to the glory of God than any kind of sickness or malady I might encounter. Let someone else be the one who has to go through difficulty, hardship, and trial. Let someone else suffer blindness from birth, but let me have a pass. Surely that'd be better in my life. That will work better for the glory of God than any kind of trial or hardship I might encounter. But of course, how can a finite creature like me or you with little pea brains, comprehend the greatness of the plan of Almighty God? How can a little creature like me with limited intelligence and knowledge question the wisdom and plan of Almighty God? Thus the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 11 that the God whom we worship, the God revealed to us by our Lord Jesus Christ, is the God who works all things after the counsel of His will. And the promise is made to us who know him and love him through the Lord Jesus Christ that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Thus, if it is your desire, it is your heartbeat to live to the glory of God, then you will leave it up to your God to design the best methods to accomplish that purpose and end. This was the motivating force for Jesus. It was the glory of God. Oh God, that you might have the glory, the weight and substance that belongs to you, may it be ascribed to you, that men might bow down before you and acknowledge you to be the sovereign Lord of the heavens and the earth. It matters not the means. Employ them as you wish. O Lord, what is important is that your work is done. So in verses 3 to 5, Jesus says, It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that the desire you have for your children, those of you who are parents? Is it not your prayer, O God, glorify yourself in the life of this child? May your works be displayed in his life? There's a little girl in our church was born with a genetic malady called monochromatic leukodystrophy. From the time she was about 18 months old and began to, just about to walk or talk, she began to deteriorate. And she lived for six years and then died. And that little girl lived more to the glory of God than most any child I've observed in our church. Every moment she lived, She lived to the glory of God. And the things that were accomplished in the lives of the people, the members of our congregation, in the ministry that took place as a result of that little girl's life, resounded to the glory of God. It was absolutely amazing. 
Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 17, verse 4, Jesus says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Look, you can look at sickness like the disciples did, and you can ask, what sin caused this? And get bogged down in all kind of a quagmire of endless speculation. Or you can look at it like Jesus did and say, oh Lord, manifest your glory in my weakness. Display your works in me. Jesus sees another opportunity to work for the glory of God. And thus in verse 4 he says, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is today. Night is coming when no one can work. The question is, Lord, what work do you want me to do? And that is also the challenge in every adversity you face, every affliction you encounter, can work to the glory of God, your heavenly Father. And thus, for the Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you've given your life over to him, no trial, no hardship, no sickness is ever meaningless. He will use it to the glory of of his great name. Now, secondly, we note not only that this is for purpose, but the healing of this blind man, verses 6 to 7, and verses 35 to 41. Here you learn that there is a worse blindness than physical blindness because there are two blindnesses going on here. There is the physical blindness of this man who was born blind and also his spiritual blindness. And then there is also the spiritual blindness of those Pharisees who are observing and arguing about the whole matter. First, Jesus miraculously heals this blind man and completely restores his sight. And there was a great display of the power of God in that. For this man was born blind. He had never seen the light of day. He had never seen a bird fly, never seen a flower bloom, never saw a sunrise or a sunset. Can you imagine that? I cannot. I cannot imagine what it would be like not to know what the face of your mother or father looked like. But this man had never seen the face of either his mother or his father. And now suddenly, sovereignly, and graciously, for the first time in his life, this man sees. And if that were not wonderful enough and glorious enough, that really is only what happened on the surface because Jesus was not finished with this man. This man goes off from the temple, but Jesus goes and finds him. There's a lot of obvious symbolism here in this encounter with this man. Uh, first, we note that Jesus made mud and smeared it over his eyes. That's a strange way to cure a guy of blindness, isn't it? John Calvin says he doubles his blindness to make the point to emphasize his blindness and to make the point that Jesus himself is the light of the world who gives sight to those who are blind. Then he sends into this pool, uh, the pool's named Siloam, which means sent. Some suggest this is symbolic of the blessings of God that issue forth from the temple. And Jesus was referred to by himself as the one sent by the Father, the one who brings the blessing of God to needy souls. 
And then this man, having received these instructions, simply and immediately obeys and does what Jesus tells him. He goes and washes in this pool. And by simple faith and following the instructions of Jesus, his sight is restored and he can see for the first time. Here's a picture of our condition outside of Christ. We are spiritually blind. This healing is a picture of the blessings of sovereign, saving grace. This man did not seek out Jesus. He could not even see him. He did not even cry out for mercy, as many do in the Gospels. Yet Jesus sought him out, and Jesus healed him and brought him from darkness into the light. A perfect portrayal of the condition of the natural man, a perfect picture of your spiritual need. What man needs, what you and I need, is regeneration. We need to be brought back from spiritual death and out of darkness into light. We need the infusion of spiritual life into our dead and decaying souls. This man did not need reformation. It's not simply a mending of his glasses or a new prescription. He was blind. He did not need education or culture. It was not a matter of correcting his vision. He was blind. This man did not need some soul-soothing platitudes of religion, a matter of some sort of eye ointment to help him out. No, he was blind. And glasses and ointment will do a blind man no good. What he needs is nothing less than the sight-restoring grace of God. And that's exactly what Jesus gives him. Note in verses 35 to 41, Jesus seeks him out and inquires of him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, now with restored physical eyes, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Sight restoring grace, not just for the physical eyes, but also for his soul. And he embraces Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. Why was this man born blind? On the one hand, it is a mystery. We don't really know exactly. Why do particular hardships come into one person's life and not into another? Why have you encountered some difficulty or hardship or sickness and disease and others don't? The secular philosopher cannot answer that question. His answer is that this man's blindness and our hardships are meaningless, that we live in a blind and meaningless universe, and blindness just happens and it means nothing. But Jesus tells us that everything that happens in our lives, even our sickness and hardship and affliction, happens for a reason. And everything that happens in our lives can work to the glory of God. Even blindness. In this fallen world, there is sickness and blindness and disease and death. And the question is not this. 
will these things happen to us? But rather, will they work in your life to the glory of God? Think of it. Meaningless sickness or sickness to the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? Can you believe it? Blindness that works to the glory of God? Only if you come to Jesus and he opens your eyes so you can see him as the Lord of the heavens and the earth and embrace him. May God help us as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are often perplexed, sometimes frustrated, sometimes downcast by the hardships that we encounter. We know that our lives will never be devoid of hardship and trial and difficulty. We thank you for the hope that through the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our hardships and afflictions can bring you glory and praise, that you'll display your mighty works in us by your Spirit. We pray, Father, you would do that and open our eyes that we might see that glorious design and purpose and humbly and meekly receive it. We ask in the blessed name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.